I like to play a game of cornhole. It's always fun. I like to see who's going to take second place. Um, this is why people gun for me, because I say these arrogant comments. In the <laughs> but tomorrow's a day that's way more important than just a day off or a good picnic. As this picture of this little boy laying at his father's grave illustrates, it's Memorial Day. Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. It is a day of remembrance for those who've died in service of the United States of America. Over two dozen cities and towns claim to be the birthplace of Memorial Day. While Waterloo, New York was officially declared the birthplace of Memorial Day by President Lyndon Johnson in May 1966, it's difficult to prove conclusively the origins of the day. Regardless of the exact date or location of its origins, one thing is clear. Memorial Day was born out of the Civil War and a desire to honor our dead. It was officially proclaimed on May 5, 1868 by General John Logan, National Commander of the Grand Army of the Republican, or of the Republic, I'm sorry. And behind me, you can see a picture of he and his family. In this General Order Number 11, he said, and I quote, The 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet, churchyard in the land. The date of Decoration Day, as he called it, was chosen because it wasn't the anniversary of any particular battle. On the first Decoration Day, General James Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery, and 5,000 participants, participants decorated the graves of the 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers buried there. The first state to recognize the holiday was New York in 1873. By 1890, it was recognized by all northern states. And the South refused to acknowledge the day honoring their dead on separate days until after World War I, when the holiday changed from honoring just those who died fighting in the Civil War to honoring Americans who died in any war. A memorial is something that preserves the remembrance. It commemorates it preserves the memory of something or someone. Right here in Kansas City, we actually have the International World War I Memorial, which I recommend checking out if you have never been there. It stands to point to the memory of not only the, the war itself, but the inscription there says this, in honor of those who served in the world war in defense of liberty and our country. So today, I remember, I honor those who gave all for us here today. I'm curious, is there anyone here who has a friend or family member who has died in service to this great country? So there's a handful. I think it would be appropriate that on a Memorial Day service, a Sunday before Memorial Day, that we would honor the people who have died 
and give a moment of silence before we continue on with this message. You see, without them, we don't have the freedom that we have. We must never forget the sacrifice that they have paid for us to worship freely, to live freely. And so this morning, I just want to talk on this title, The Memorial I Am Building Is Not Just For Me. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the fact that we're here to honor you, love you, worship you, lift you up. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and thank you for men and women, Lord, who felt the call to serve their country for whatever reason that they chose, Lord God. We are grateful for every person, Lord Jesus. Families who have lost children, cousins, aunts, parents, Lord God, please just Lord, bless their families for the sacrifice that they have given for our nation and for us, even though many of them did not know us personally. We honor their memory, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the fact that we live in the United States of America, Lord, what, which I just believe that is the greatest country, Lord God, that we are blessed to be a part of. Lord, not with arrogance or pride, but Lord Jesus, we are blessed to live here, Lord God, in love and serve you freely. Lord, each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. You see, if a memorial is something that preserves remembrance, it commemorates, it preserves the memory of something or someone. I got to thinking that the Bible itself also talks about memorials. In one such instant, the memorial instance, the memorial was one man's life and sacrifice. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Acts chapter 10 marks a high point when you read through this whole story. Marks a high point in the church's expanding mission. God led Peter to witness to a Gentile, simply meaning a non-Jewish person, and named Cornelius. And through that experience, Peter became fully convinced of God's purposes to reach all nations. And hence, Peter became one of, a, one of the greatest advocates, in addition to Paul and others, of the mission to the Gentiles. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can turn off the subwoofer, but I'm up here. I don't know if you're hearing it, but I'm going to up here. But uh, even though Jesus had looked at all his disciples as he was ascending into heaven in Matthew 28, he was saying, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Sometimes our prejudices cause us to look internally to where we are comfortable. 
And God needs to step in and remind us that he has called us beyond the borders of our comfort zone. The story here was a significant new development in the book of Acts church and here in Acts 10. Because the Gentile calls for Peter. Cornelius calls for Peter. But Peter, before he goes, he needs to reconcile some things before he shares the gospel message with Cornelius and his family. Thank you. I don't know if you could hear it. Could you hear it? I didn't know if it was just up here. It was like a, it was like a uh, illustrated sermon. I was getting started. It was like... The Gentile mission was not an easy step for the Jewish Christians to take. It involved two major issues. One was the issue of whether Gentiles had to become Jews in order to become Christians. In other words, should they undergo Jewish proselyte procedure as they converted to Christianity? This would have required the circumcision of all the male children, all the male converts, and the adoption of all converts of Jewish legal distinctives and kosher laws. So you got to change your diet physically. There, there were several changes that needed to take place. And so when Peter gets the call from this Gentile, hey, would you come over here? God told me to summons you, to call for you. Peter, as a Jewish person, is like, eh, not supposed to go into the Gentile home, not really supposed to, eh, there's a lot of cultural things that are going on there that he couldn't just be like, yeah, absolutely, you know. No, we're the children of God. We don't really mingle with what your type is, non-Jewish people. It was to them, the gospel message was to the Jew first. And so, um, but God, thank God, he steps in. And so God begins to prepare Peter even before this guy gets to his house. And look what God does. He sends him a dream in Acts 10.9. It says, on the morrow as they went on their journey, they drew nigh to the city of Peter. And Peter went to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So if it's if the Jewish time clock is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., what would the sixth hour be? Very good. You guys are great mathematicians. <laughs> so noon, high noon, and he became hungry, and Peter would have eaten. But when, while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, and wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowl of the air, and there came a voice that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Whoa! Totally against every other thing that he's ever known for thousands of years in Jewish culture. So Peter does not say, cool. Peter said, not so, Lord. Isn't it amazing? Even after Jesus has died on the cross, ascended into heaven, Peter is still trying to correct the Lord. <laughs> Some people just never change. Not so, Lord. I have never. A little bit of pride there, maybe. Ah, do you know who you're talking to? I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I feel like I'd hear somebody like that at one of those five-star steakhouses downtown. Be like, hey, man, I just had McDonald's. McDonald's! Huh. I have never ate McDonald's. It's common and unclean. And they probably would be partially right. 
I told my son yesterday, let's take him to his first game. I said, where do you want to eat, man? I'm going to take you out. He not only chose Taco Bell, he proceeded to point out every Taco Bell on the way to the stadium. <laughs> and Uncle Chad said, that's my boy. <laughs> He's back there raising his hand. Uh, but he said, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. The voice spoke unto him a second time. What God hath cleansed, thou call not thou common. You'd think at that point you'd be like, oh, okay. But then verse next, verse, and it was done thrice a third time. I thank God. Just like Moses and Abraham. I mean, I, mean, I thank God that he was willing to speak to us three times sometimes. Because I don't always get it on the first time. And he says, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. Whoa, that's interesting in itself. You mean this unclean things were received back again into heaven? Interesting. And this is why we don't follow Old Testament dietary laws, because the Lord has freed us from those restrictions. Now, if you're sitting here saying, I have a conviction, I do this for physical health, and that's awesome. But don't push those restrictions on other people because biblically we are freed from that. So if you have a conviction, then follow your conviction. But don't tell me that I can't go to Q39 and see Jose. Because I'm going. And so you read on and Peter doubts. And even though God tells him three times, but then these three guys, these guys come knocking at the door and let Peter know, hey, my boss sent me to find you. And God was telling him to go get a guy named Peter. Are you Peter? Because we need to talk to you. And at some point here, Peter, he, he leaves, he puts two and two together. He's going, whoa, 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 a Gentile, I'm supposed to go to a Gentile's house. I don't go to Gentiles. Gentiles are unclean. They're common folk. I don't need to go into there. And then all of a sudden, I don't know when, he goes, oh, 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 I get what's going on here. I get what's going on here. In verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive something just dawned on me. God is no respecter of persons. And to this day, I am thankful that that still rules and reigns supreme today. No matter what your education level, skin color, culture, socioeconomic background, no matter who your parents were, if you even knew your parents, God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted by him. If you fear the Lord and his righteousness, you're willing to obey and align your life with the man. He's looking at you saying, I accept you. God didn't want Peter withholding the gospel message because now he's dealing with an unclean Gentile. God was speaking to Peter about a change in dietary laws, but it was much deeper than that. 
So Peter feels a release now to go to this Gentile's house and to preach to him Jesus. But he takes some of his Jewish friends with him, probably because he knows, okay, this is wonderful. God spoke three times. I know this is the will of God, and that's why I'm going to go do it. But I'm still scared. Because I'm walking into what up to this point in my culture is absolutely frowned down upon. We don't go to the Gentiles' house. We don't enter into this conversation. And salvation certainly isn't open to them. But God's telling me different. But I want to make sure I protect my name. So will you all come with me? Because we need to go. Because you need to vouch for me that this was not me. Okay? So he takes his friends with him, and something happens as Peter begins to speak to him and his family, to the Cornelius and his family, something that probably blew every one of their minds. While Peter, in verse 44, was speaking to them these words, because this man was hungry for God, and Peter starts talking to him, and Scripture says, while Peter, Luke tells us, while Peter was yet speaking these, he wasn't even done. Imagine that, a Pentecostal service where the speaker can't even finish before people want to respond. I welcome that. If, I, if you can't wait any, ever, and any longer and you're just like, I want what he is talking about so bad, you don't have to wait till a formal altar call. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, those are the Jewish people that were with Peter, they which believe were astonished. What? These are Gentiles. They probably thought, you know, I mean, that after all, from, from what we can tell, that God didn't appear to them in a dream. It was just Peter. So Peter, maybe Peter's nervous. Maybe Peter was confident. I don't know. Maybe Peter said, you need to come with me, not because I'm scared, but because you are about to see something incredible. And I want you to see it because you'd never believe me. And we need witnesses. Why? Because there was a scriptural establishment since the book of, what, Exodus, I think, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So Peter knew, I need some people here. They're going to back up what is about to happen. And so, as Peter yet speaks these words, the Holy Ghost enters into the Gentile household. And the people standing there that had already spoken in tongues and received the Spirit in Acts 2 are standing there going, well, Why? Because that on the Gentiles was also poured the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost in the exact same way. Which way was that? I wish Luke would tell us. Oh, he does. Verse 46. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. I just don't see how tongues is in the Bible. <laughs> what Bible are you reading? It says it right there. 
Acts 2, they get the Holy Ghost. Acts 8, they get the Holy Ghost. Now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost. And the Jews were like, whoa, whoa, I thought this was our exclusive club. What's going on here? I thought we were, what? what? And Peter, I think, is probably like, well, I know. This is the, man, I had this dream. Never mind. It doesn't even matter right now. And they're speaking with tongues. And then they Ask Peter questions. Man, he answered Peter. He looks around, and you can kind of imagine this happening. He's standing there. They're speaking in tongues, and they're going, that just happened to us. That's the same thing. So then Peter kind of looks at his buddies and goes, uh, can anyone <laughs> forbid water? I mean, they got the Holy Ghost like we did. I mean, I guess they should probably be baptized like we did also. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus. And so here, he's looking and saying, well, Gentiles, now they're getting the Holy Ghost. I guess we might as well baptize in Jesus' name too. And if you're here today, the beautiful, it does not matter what your culture is, where you come from, what country you originate from. God has a plan, and he wants to fill you with his spirit and give you the gift of tongues. He wants to wash you in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, Peter said in Acts 2, the promise was for you, your children, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's still us today. He's still calling. And so, Gentiles getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And because God granted the gift of the Spirit to the Gentiles in Cornelius' home, without them, without them subscribing to the Jewish proselyte procedure, proselyte procedure, Peter is like, hmm. They're getting the Holy Ghost. Now they get baptized. They haven't been circumcised. They're not following our Jewish dietary laws. And God just gave me a dream. So I'm just not sure if that the law, the procedures in the law, are going to be required for non-Jewish people. Because it appears that God is moving in such a way that when Jesus died on that cross, something shifted. And so, I don't have to avoid filet mignon anymore. God is good. God is good. And burnt ends. And, oh, let's move on. Uh, Peter became convinced that such Jewish conversion procedures were not necessary in the Christian mission to the Gentiles. Why are we talking about this today? Well, I think it's important. Do you know that Acts 10, 1 to 11, 18, this, this story about Cornelius, his family, the dream, Gentiles, is the longest single story in the book of Acts. 
There's no story longer in the book of Acts than this story. That in itself is witness to the, to the, to the importance that Luke places on this story. The story itself is there to serve as a memorial to Gentiles. It's there to serve as a memorial to people. It's, to my understanding, there's not a whole-blooded Jewish person here today. If you are, that is, that is awesome. That is so great. But to my knowledge, I don't know of anyone in the audience today. Now, so this story serves as a memorial to every single one of us today that when we read this, we can say, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, for this story. Without this story, I don't get the Holy Ghost. Without this story, I don't get washed in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus. This story ought to be one of the most favorite stories that we have in the entire book of the Bible. Because without that story, without this man's desire for truth, this life-changing message of Jesus Christ, the cross, repentance, water baptism, the promise of the Spirit, none of that is possible. None of us non-Jewish people would have had the chance with this incredible salvation. That memorial that we read about right here was he was building was not just for himself. It was for all of us. So today, if we look at our title slide again, today, tomorrow, this weekend, tomorrow is Memorial Day. And I say, let this story preserve remembrance, commemorate our salvation. Remember Cornelius the Gentile. In prayer last week, God laid this story on my my heart, and I got to thinking, we don't really celebrate and remember the Gentile named Cornelius. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of apostolic Pentecostals, we know Acts 10, 44 to 48. It's a staple. The passage is crucial to our doctrinal belief system, and I think many even know the name Cornelius. That name rings a bell. I'm not sure we've ever could say we celebrate Cornelius. And yet I think we need to celebrate, remember, commemorate this man. This guy's a Gentile centurion. He was a military man with the rank of centurion, which placed him over at least 100 soldiers. But he was a Gentile who worshiped God, supported the Jewish religious community. He was a good guy, probably a lot better than a lot of us, okay? I mean, like, he's like, yeah, I pray always, I give alms. He, he does all these things. The pastor describes him. He's doing two of the three main acts of Jewish piety. He's praying, giving alms. He's just, the only thing is, in fast, is, is fasting's not mentioned right here. Not to say he didn't do it, but it wasn't mentioned. But our works don't save us. If they did, this guy's in. He's done. He's, he's a good guy. Scripture makes that clear. But God says to this good guy, for all of us think that we're good, good people. God says to this good guy, go find Peter. He's going to tell you what to do. I don't think there is anything to do. I'm a good guy. I'm saved by grace. But even in God's grace, he will reach out to you and he will put you in a place where you can hear what to do. Some of you are here today by the grace of God... So God can tell you what to do. Some of you are watching online. So God is revealing to you what to do. What paved the way for that? Did God predestine Cornelius? Did he just pick Cornelius' needle in a haystack? 
Was it random chance that Cornelius was like, Peter, let's go with Peter? No way. The answer is found right in the beginning of the story when the angel of the Lord gives the specific reason why he is there. In Acts chapter 10, verse 3, he saw a vision. Ninth hour of the day, an angel of God comes to him and says, Cornelius. He looked at him. What is it, Lord? He said unto him, your prayers, your alms have come up. They caught my attention. They came up as a memorial unto me. Cornelius, your actions, your desire to know God and to walk with God formed a memorial before God. Folks, I find that language extremely interesting. The things that this man did in sacrifice, his personal spiritual disciplines, the way he lived consistently built something that got God's attention. What are you doing consistently on a daily basis that is getting God's attention? And to fully understand this, just like to fully understand why we still celebrate Memorial Day in the United States today, look at the title slide again. We must look back to understand what brought us to this point. The term memorial literally means remembrance here in this passage. And that word actually points all the way back to Old Testament sacrificial language. Brother Foster already preached part of my message here today. And he preached part of last week's message. He did. That was pretty cool. Leviticus 2, 1 and 2 says, And when any will offer meat offering unto the Lord, now we're going backward, the offering will be on fine flour. He shall pour oil upon it, put frankincense thereon. Like he said, how did you word it? It was something like there were no just spontaneous offerings. There was intentional. It was preparation. The sacrifice. And read, it says, he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. He shall take there, uh, uh, there out his handful of flour thereof and the oil thereof with the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. Burn the memorial? What? We don't burn memorials, do we? You know, you're going to get arrested. You're going to... Don't burn memorials. Burn the memorial. Well, you see, the memorial was the sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, placing that animal carcass on the altar was a memorial before the Lord. It was giving the sacrifice in obedience to God's plan, and God was pleased with that. Like Brother Foster said, the sacrifice wasn't just thrown. There was preparation. There was planning. But when we move to the New Testament, Jesus Christ becomes, he's the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world once and for all. Now we don't, we don't have to kill animals and pour out blood anymore. But the Lord still calls for a sacrifice. 
We read about a lifestyle of sacrifices. Why? Because this pertains not only to Scripture, but to what the United States remembers this weekend. Memorials are built when people sacrifice. Memorials are built only when people sacrifice. You don't walk through the World War I museum and say, hey, they wore this, these are the guns they shot, this is what happened, but nobody died. No, 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 you're going to see a list. You're going to see pictures and faces and names because memorials are only built when people sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes to that Roman church and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. They would have understood this language. Rome, they, and Romans and Galatians were written to people that were thinking about going back into the law, going back into animal sacrifice. And Paul is sitting here writing going, guys, it's not needed. It's not necessary. Think different. By the grace of God, by the Jesus Christ, the blood of Calvary, it's different. Now you're presenting your bodies a living say You're not killing yourself. It's not self-mutilation, but it's living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Old Testament, animal sacrifice. New Testament, living sacrifice. Both still required. Old Testament required for there. We're still required to sacrifice, but that's not the animal anymore. It's us as a living sacrifice, living holy, separated, sanctified unto God. That's why when Brother Foster said, and I wrote it down, what we call sacrifice, God calls worship. And so when the Gentile believer is faithfully doing what God, what he knows to do, he's doing his very, very best. And that's why I went, whoa, hang on a second. Y'all believe this around here? What about the person that lives over here? What about the person that lives over there? What about the person that only heard this? What about the person that doesn't know this? What about the person that doesn't have media over here? What about this? And we start to try and create all these hypothetical situations to justify our lack of response. And all you need to do is read the stories in the book of Acts <clears throat> to read Titus where it says the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto every man and to read the stories about a, a, a eunuch in the middle of the desert in, in Acts 8 that God calls Philip from a citywide revival of hundreds, probably thousands of people and he calls that guy to go in the middle of nowhere to reach just one guy and then you go to Acts chapter 10 and one guy is praying and God says I'm going to go speak and send a dream to a man on the other side of town to prepare him to step into your house and reach your family believe me God is going to do what only God can do to reach every single human being on the face of planet earth 
And so God sends an angel in a vision. I'm going to give you further instruction what to do. But the angel says something else before he leaves. Oh, yeah, hey, Cornelius, this is great. Here's the plan. You're going to go find Peter. But do you know why I'm telling you this? I love that this is added into the Bible. Let me tell you why I'm telling you this. I'm not just telling you what to do. He could have just stopped there. But I'm telling you this because your prayers and your alms have formed a memorial before God. Why is that included in Scripture? I think that's meant to challenge someone like us today. That God didn't, this isn't just a memorial of the, of the book of Acts plan of salvation for us. But it's a, remo- a memorial that he says, you know what? Now there's the plan I'm leaving, but one last thing. Don't forget, every day when you consistently do something, you're getting God's attention and you're building a memorial that he is noticing. Each day that man got up, he was building something that was getting God's. His life was a living sacrifice that God was calling for instead of an animal. And today on this Memorial Day weekend, I commemorate this man and remember him. For where would us Gentiles be if this man was not hungry for God? Where would us Gentiles be if this man was not saying, I'm going to live a life that I know to live and I'm going to keep plugging away. And when God speaks to me, I ain't going to to question it. I'm going to drag my feet when the man of God comes in and preaches a, a message that confirmed in my spirit. I'm going to respond. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to receive the... While Peter was yet speaking these words, Cornelius was so hungry for God, he couldn't even wait till the end of the message. Cornelius, while he's speaking, he probably threw those hands up and began to speak in tongues. He and his family, everybody else is looking at him. Well, they're speaking in tongues just like we did just a few short weeks ago and here this Gentile man is responding to God I remember Cornelius this morning Oh, like the U.S. veteran heroes in the memorial of yesteryear. People who gave all to secure something for future generations. The Gentile centurion's consistency built a memorial that would impact future generations. Why? Because his memorial was pleasing to the Lord. Leviticus 2.9 says, The priest will take a representative portion of the grain offering and burn it on the altar. It's a special gift. Notice, this wasn't a tithe. This wasn't a requirement. This was an offering. God calls not only for the first fruit, but he also called for an offering. It was a gift, and it was a special gift. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and we read about that exact type of aroma in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, kill an animal, put it there. Pleasing aroma. Why was it a pleasing aroma? Because of the obedience of sacrifice that was going up before the Lord, but then we get to the New Testament, and we, instead of it being the aroma of a burnt offering, the aroma of a life filled with prayer. A life filled with prayer is, is what catches God's attention. Revelation 5.8 says when he took the scroll John is trying to write down all of the things God's giving him in a vision. And he says I see this guy. He takes a scroll four living beings, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And every one of them had a harp. And they had gold bowls filled with incense. And guess what that incense was? It was the prayers of God's people. Incense was meant to be a sweet smelling 
savor unto the Lord. That's why you read in the Old Testament so much about the aroma of the sacrifice. The aroma went up before the Lord. And now today, what is the aroma that he smells? It's the life of a believer who is consistently filled with prayer. Who's the one that's saying when service is over, I'm not spending eight seconds at an altar. I'm going to get down at that altar and I'm going to begin to build a memorial. I'm going to begin to send up the aroma of a life of prayer, bathed in prayer up before the Lord. That even at the end times, the last days, that he's sitting here in John saying, what I see, I see at the last days, elders carrying bowls of gold. And inside those bowls of gold, they're stored up with prayers of saints who have built memorials before God. And, and then he says again, he repeats it in three chapters later, Revelation 8, 3 and 4, another angel came down and stood at the altar, had a golden censer, and there was given to him much incense, there it is again, that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God, and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. Again, I'll say this, not only is the incense mingled with the prayers of the saints, and it's forming a memorial as we begin to pray, I'm not just doing a spiritual discipline, I'm not just doing, oh yeah, I got pastor was on me again, oh that's right, we were challenged, oh I promised I committed to the prayer board, it's not any of that, but every single day when I get myself out of the bed, and I begin to say, Jesus, I am here, God, I am building something right now, I'm, I, let it be a sweet aroma that's coming up, I imagine the Lord in his throne room, just like what John sees, that my prayers are beginning to fill up the throne room of God, and that even the angels take notice. Is it a coincidence that it often seems that wherever the prayers of the saints are, we also read about angels present at that location? Right now, if you would just put your hands in the air and begin to let God hear your voice, I believe that the aroma of your prayer is entering into the throne room of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is saying, stop everything. Angels, come to a halt right now because Brittany's praying, because Hannah's praying, because Tanya's praying, Jacob's praying, Keith is praying, Ross is praying. He's saying, just stop right now. Do you smell that? Do you smell that? That's a sweet-smelling savor from a people who are building a memorial in my presence. Notice what Sister Foster said when God spoke through her this morning. She said, one line stuck out to me. It said, and God said through her, he said, and if you sacrifice yourself, I smell a sweet, sweet savor. That's what God spoke this morning. If you sacrifice yourself, I smell a sweet, sweet savor. Would you stand to your feet today? Oh, folks, as I wrap this message up, even King David understood the intertwining connection between sacrifice, his own personal worship, and the memorial. He said in Psalm 141:2, he said, Lord, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. When I, I want you to know that when you pray, it's not just out of tradition. When you raise your hands in the air, 
It's not some Pentecostal tradition. David said, God, let my prayer be coming before your presence like incense. And when I raise my hands, oh God, let it be like an evening sacrifice. Lord, let what I'm doing get your attention. Folks, Cornelius' memorial didn't just change his life. Look, just remember this as you come to this altar. In Acts chapter 10, verse 24, it said that they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for Peter and the Jewish group. And what does it say at the end of 24? Who was waiting with him? He was waiting with his relatives and his close friends. Every time that I pray, every time that I raise my hands, the memorial that I am building is not just for me. It's not just for me. It's for my family who have gathered in my house to hear this same message. That when I refuse to raise my hands, when I refuse to pray, I am refusing to build a memorial that my children are going to honor, that my children are going to live for. Memorials are built when people sacrifice. That's why we have freedom. That's why we have salvation. And that's why I take time this morning to continue to build a memorial. I want my prayers right now as I raise my voice that it would be an aroma of incense that would begin to fill the throne room of the sanctuary. As I raise my hands, it would be like the evening sacrifice before the Lord. And I'm building this not just for me, but for my children, for future generations.